hidden behind closed doors. This is Beer and Bee Movies. I'm Jason. I'm Michael. Jason, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to discuss 1969's The House That Screamed, Spanish movie. The title is actually La Residencia. And Michael, what are we going to be drinking? We are drinking Buffalo Bill's America's Original Pumpkin Ale. Cheers. Cheers. It's one of my favorite pumpkin ales. That's a pumpkin pie in a bottle. Yeah. With a little bit of alcohol in it. Reminds me of a um, cream soda. Has yeah. that you know, sweetness I, to it. I could almost get that. There's a sweetness. There's a creaminess to the texture. They actually use pumpkin, which I like. One of the reasons I like it is they, they do use the pumpkin and the spices. This is one I have to get every year. Tis the season. Also, it's a combination of things. And we're going to get into this movie. We're going to find out that there's a combination of things to make up a person. And also, there's a, there's a select number of people in the beer world that think pumpkin ales are an abomination. <laughs> and there's definitely an abomination at the end of this movie. It's a sweet, like, well, I smell it. Yeah. It's sweet. It's got all the spices, the nutmeg, the, the cinnamon, the stuff that you want, in the, that pumpkin pie. Like I was saying, the end taste of this reminds me of... Not the yellow and orange white candy corn, but the harvest candy corn that has the black, orange, and white. There's this just spicy sweetness to the end. I don't have enough experience with the harvest sweet corn, so <laughs> I, no, I mean I'm, I really don't. So I'll defer to you on that. I just I always tell people that you know if they say you know I'm not really into pumpkin pie, I say you're not going to like this beer. <laughs> That's true. But if you like pumpkin pie, and you're looking for a pumpkin ale to try, especially this time of year. It's crisp too. I, I could drink a number of these, and I have. And this brewery? Not today. <laughs> this Buffalo Bills Brewery, where is this located? They are, they're in California, San Jose. Okay, up north. Oh, in Hayward. Hayward, okay. Yes, so I used north. To, I, years ago I used to work at a brewery that made this on contract. And nice. I always remember Hayward, California, so it's delicious. Now, the movie, this is your choice. Yes. I found it on Amazon Prime. It was part of a double feature. It was called Dorm Girls, so you could find it there. Why did you pick it? And why is it a B-movie? So first, I watched it on Tubi, <laughs> with Elvira being the hostess of, of it. And then I went and watched the Amazon version, once you let me know that was on Amazon. I picked the movie because I was reading through a book called Hidden Whore, edited by Aaron Christensen, a celebration of 101 underrated and overlooked fright flicks. And I was going through this book, I really liked it. I came across this movie, I never seen it. Why well, I'm saying it's a B-movie. One, it was a genre film. It was shot in Spain using English and European actors and actresses. It was meant to be a commercial film. So it's, it was meant to make money. I think it's hitting on all those B-movie elements. It did not do well in the United States. AIP released it in 1971. I don't see it referenced a lot. I never heard it before, before we did this book. You. I would also throw in quickly, I would say it's also a B-movie because it has several different titles depending yes. on where you are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, on Amazon Prime, it's the double feature and it's called Dorm Girls. Yes. And then when you start it, and I know it's the, the Spanish La Residencia, yeah. but then it's the house that screamed. When you when you have many different titles, chances are you're going to have a B-movie. Exactly. The setting takes place in... France. I kept thinking in my mind, ah, 1890. I have no idea why. It's a young girl's boarding school. There is some interesting elements to this movie. One is there is a very odd mother-son relationship dynamic between Mademoiselle Fournau and Louise. There's a heavy lesbian undertone, and it's not even, it's pretty overt at times. There's even a little bit of almost like S&M type beating stuff. 100% somebody preying on someone in a sexual manner. For at that time, American movies wouldn't touch that. They would, even in this manner, you really didn't see that. And then there's there's lots of red herrings. Oh, absolutely. Because eventually we'll see that girls are disappearing from this girls' school. We're led to believe that they're just escaping because they want to be there. About 40 minutes into the movie, we realize, no, they're disappearing for a reason. There is a lot of potential people who could be doing this. You will run out of eyes quickly, <laughs> keeping an eye on all the people that need eyes kept on them in this film. Very beginning scene, it reminds me of a PBS, BBC, Merchant Ivory 
period piece. It's sweeping music. A carriage comes through a nice tree-lined street. There is actually on the outside, the boarding school is very beautiful. Yeah. And this music sweeping, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a coming-of-age tale. Like, there's nothing nefarious it. Because you associate boarding schools with innocence coming into your own. And what I noticed after watching Repeating Time, why something was a little off, is when that carriage returns... They really focus on the fact that when it leaves the gate, the person physically locks the gate with a chain. This is a nice place to stay. Why do you have to lock everyone in? But that stood out to me because when they came in, they didn't no, focus a- on the gate things. But at the end, you actually see him like click the gate and you're like, okay, well, that kind of ends my first opinion of this where this is an innocent movie with this beautiful sweeping music. No, and the music is a high watermark. But from the get-go... We get a young woman and a middle-aged man arriving at the school, Teresa. She's sort of painted to be our heroine. She's being brought to the school by Mr. Baldy, who <laughs> actually has some hair. And Madame Forneau is the principal of this boarding school. First inkling that we get something might not be perfect with Teresa is when Forneau asks Baldy, are you a relative of the girl? His gaze is cast downward, and he kind of fumbles, and he gets a little sheepish, and he goes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a friend of the mother's. We're kind of like, well, what's wrong with Teresa? You can't claim her. Something you might pick up after watching the movie four times. I picked it up the first time. Baldy says a friend recommended this school, and Forneau is taking them on a tour, and she's giving these glowing, these wonderful, this is what we do here and this is we teach arts and oh some of the women who who left here we have art on the walls some of them went on to be big deals in other places they teach them cooking because culinary arts are essential for future housewives her quote not mine but she's giving these these this like wonderful tour about what this school is and it's just it's going to build these women up and then she she sends Teresa off for biscuits and tea and she sits down with Baldi and we start figuring out that isn't necessarily what this school is because she straight up tells Baldi, the girls who come here, for the most part, have, are bad. <laughs> like they, they do not have exemplary behavior. Mademoiselle Fornal, her outfit, it reminds me, and I, I believe it was done on purpose. Here, this was shot in Spain during the time period that Franco still ran Spain. And it is very much a military, it's muted colors, but it's tan. It's not like the other girls' colors. It's tan, it has a tie. She has a pendant that almost looks like a medal, like she's in a military uniform. And her hair is pulled tightly back and controlled. To go back, I think we passed over this. In the beginning, Madame Fourneau is teaching a class. Everybody's supposed to be writing, and there's one, Izzy. Izzy gets defiant. Right off the bat, we get the sense Izzy is a defiant student. So Madame Forneau says, I guess you want to be alone. So we're going to send you to solitary. And she calls Tupan. Tupan, who Tupan is dressed similarly. She's got the tight, very streamlined, almost military style outfit on. Her hair is pulled back tight. And Madame Forneau says, you take Izzy to solitary. And you can tell right there, Tupan likes this. She's the right-hand person to Madame Fourneau. You stand back and look at all those muted colors. Izzy the Rebel, her outfit is the brightest outfit in that classroom. And her hair is sort of, you know, it's loose. It's free. She doesn't give a damn. Yes, according to she Izzy. actually even says that. Yes. <laughs> back to Fourneau on this military look and how she's talking to Mr. Baldy about the school. She a final remark is, in order to bring them back to the right path, you must run this establishment with a firm hand. And Tupan is part of that firm hand that she's running this establishment. I I would even say she is the firm right hand. She controls the school almost in a shadow way by herself. I don't know if Madame Forno knows everything she's up to. Very much like a trustee in a prison. Kept thinking, I was like, damn it, what is that? It just came I know to what you're me. talking about. It's the trustee. <laughs> Teresa's there. She's at her, her first dinner. Tupan is staring at her and almost like, I think she's eating an apple yes. at that time. And she's just looking at her with this look that is very, very sexual. At that point, too, we're realizing Teresa is a good person. We're not sure why she's at that school. She's 18 and a half. My backstory is Mr. Baldy is dating her mom, 
and we'll realize later on that her mom is definitely a cabaret singer, yeah. possibly a prostitute. Possibly pro- and and he wants this young woman off the premises. See, my my personal take <laughs> was he may actually be the father, and Teresa's mother is like, she needs an education. Can you help me out? He's like, I cannot claim her because he pays for this. It. This yeah, he, he pays, pays for everything. two terms in advance, yes, three hundred francs per term. Which he, yeah, which back then I'm guessing is a lot. He's well to do. That's my personal take. Teresa comes across as a good person. In fact, in that scene, Mr. Baldy was taking a tour. Teresa had been escorted to the dining room before this dinner scene. For tea and biscuits. Tea and biscuits. <laughs> the server said, oh, you should pack those biscuits up because you're not going to get a lot for dinner. And she packs them up. And at dinner time, she's handing out the biscuits to the other girls. She seems very she friendly. She has a good heart. But anyways. We're back at the dinner. We got a young woman with not the voice I would pick to read at dinner. No. This is one of those places <laughs> where they, they have somebody get selected to read at dinner, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Unless you're that person because yeah. then you're not eating. But she's reading the Aenid. It's one of the Roman classic epics. They purposely chose that. And there is a point at the very end of her statement that says, and there in the midst as a warning against wicked love, their hybrid offspring, child of two breeds, the Minotaur. And I think that was put in because they end that scene. There's going to be some wicked love in this. Could be some very Oedipal, Jacosta love between the mother and son here for now, and Luis. Sexual. And there is some sort of hybrid animal <laughs> monster, True. you know, that's going to live in this maze of a boarding school. And at the time, the lesbian, that could be the wicked love. That's not what so, we think, yeah. but that, you know, at that time, depending on where you are, I mean, it was still illegal. Also, real quick, she doesn't say Minotaur. She says Minotaur. Yes. <laughs> I kept saying that in Michael Palin's voice. The Minotaurs and the orangutans and the fruit bats. <laughs> Madame Fourneau, she ends up calling Tupan, Fragonan, and Rigeau. Fragonan and Rigeau are two of Tupan's underlings. Yeah. They're dressed very similar to her. And we find out they're summoned because Izzy's going to get her treatment. Izzy's in a room, solitary. Fourneau says, this isn't the first time we've had to do this. Izzy is fairly defiant. And, and then she says, take your clothes off. Izzy won't take her clothes off. So Madame Fourneau orders the other girls to strip her. And we get our first instance. This is actually done really well. Some cross-cutting where all the other uh, young ladies, they're getting ready for bed. They're praying. And these women are viciously stripping Izzy which is like a violent sexual act. And then Fornell hands Tupan, I think it was a cat of nine, nine yes. tails. A whip, yeah. Yeah, just got that laying around. So, they, so that's when you're thinking, what kind of school is this? Yes. I mean, you there might be a switch or something, I guess. They do corporal punishment back then and, and worse. But I'm like, the cat of nine tails is a little serious. And so she gives it to Tupan, and it's Tupan's job to whip her. She's really into it. She, she is. enjoys dishing out the whippings. For now, had to stop her. She told her to stop, and she continued. You have For now, possibly as the main antagonist, but Tupan as this second wing antagonist that, that mainly Teresa is going to have to deal with. And meanwhile, like I said, we keep cutting back from the whipping, Izzy screaming, and then we cut to, I'm not going to say it's as good as you know the the one in the at the end of The Godfather. But, you know, they, it was an effort made. So we're going from the, the ladies praying to the whipping back and forth. And then Fourneau dismisses the three hinge people. Yeah. And she says, yeah, don't forget to pray. It's a weird little moment because I'm, I'm like, oh, you're telling them to pray because they just beat this young woman because you told them to. And then she gets really manipulative with Izzy, basically saying, Look what you made me do, which is some weird, like, manipulative, yeah. victim-blaming stuff. They don't show blood. She's whipped really bad, and there's no blood. There should have been something. Not even really welts or anything. Yeah. But Madame Fourneau is, like, kind Washing of cleaning her. her back and being all soothing about, yeah. you know, see what you made me do. I can't have anyone defy me here. Yeah, and her words were led me to believe that her and Izzy have a deeper relationship because she says, I can't allow anybody to defy me. Not even you. And then honestly, the first couple times when I watched it, I thought she leaned down and kissed her back. And then watching it, I'm like, no, I'm just putting that in. She definitely leans forward. I'm sure there's a cut out there where she probably did kiss her back. Mademoiselle for now has some relationship with some of these girls that I would say probably crossed the line of what you should have at a school like that. We know Izzy has been in this room before. We know she continually defies Madame Forno. 
Let's fill up our glass because we're about to go to an important scene in this movie that's establishing one of our red herrings, or possibly the person who's doing everything. Red herring here is Madame Fourneau. After she tells Izzy, I forgive you for making me beat you, she goes to her quarters. There's her son... I think we figured out it was 16, 17. Yes. Somewhere in there. He's got this lilting little voice. He's a spry little young man. His name is Lewis. What do we find out? Lewis has been following Teresa around today. In fact, for now, had picked up on that. And their relationship is really odd. And the mom says, none of these girls are any good. They have stolen or done worse things. Marked. Yes. Her first thing is they are marked which I take to mean they've been sexually promiscuous. Yeah. That's yep. that's my feeling. Oh, it's clear. When yeah. we get to the woodcutter person, it's yeah. clear. <laughs> you, you mean they meet? You mean that? She so, says, these girls are poison. You need a woman <laughs> like me. You need a woman yeah. like your mom. Their closeness and proximity is off-putting. And right now in the movie, nothing's gone on. You don't know anything except for like, well, this now has become a boarding school that I don't know if I would send any of my kids to. There's clocks. Clocks all over the walls. And you, I was, I, I thought about that, I thought about that. Well, you had an interesting point. At the end, we're going to find out that Lewis is behind a lot of things that's taking place here. And when I think about clocks, I think about clock maker, clockmakers and people who are putting together things. That will play out by the end of the movie. And when you see Lewis, there's always a tell that there's either going to be a clock around or the chiming of the bell. It's it's significant. So pay attention to that scene because it does play out for the rest of the movie. And I mean, you're you're assembling you're assembling a clock, yeah. much like you would assemble a pumpkin ale. There you go. <laughs> you, you, you got a base beer. You add pumpkin. And then you add the spices. I actually had a chance to try this when it was in a tank before the spices were added. And it's just like a pumpkin. Pumpkins don't taste like pumpkin pie. If you've ever had a pumpkin, they're kind of like a gourd. There's not a lot of flavor going on. Yeah, squash. There's not a whole lot of taste. So when you have a pumpkin ale before they add spices, it's just kind of a pretty basic ale. There's a clockwork kind of assemblage. There's an engineer, a scientist, and maybe a a Dr. Frankenstein, shall we say. Yes, yes, and we do. We do have our own Dr. Frankenstein in this. So the next morning, it's outside, the birds are chirping, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, well maybe that was just a really bad day. We're going to start again, and this day is going to be good. But it starts off as an odd day because you also learn a very interesting sexual secret about this school. Because Tupan says, hey, Susanna and Izzy, bed-making detail today. Susanna's like, Izzy's gone. She's in solitary. Tupan says, "Uh, you know what, then? You and Teresa. There's a reason, though, that Tupan wanted Susanna and Teresa. She wanted Susanna to explain to Teresa how things work here. Who's really (laughs) in charge? Who hands out the punishments? Who hands out the duties? I don't think Suzanne does a really good job because she really explains to Teresa about like, there's a guy. She's like, have you been? Do you have boyfriends? And basically saying, hey, do you mess around with guys? Yes. Have you, you know. Do you meet with boys? Do you meet with boys? There is a a woodcutter who comes here to deliver wood. Henry. And Henry brings two kinds of wood. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's what we find out. Like, was it every every three weeks? Yeah. Like, Henry shows up with a load of wood and a load of wood. <laughs> Susanna says, I'm next. I get to meet Henry with his two types of wood. She tells her that Forneau has a son. Teresa seems surprised. Like, And Isabel, another student, is seeing him, and she really fancies him. Teresa has this line where she goes, you mean they meet? And then it's like, when you talked about, like, Merchant Ivory yeah. or, like, like something like you, you would hear from like, Pride and Prejudice. She's, she's fanning herself. Yeah. Whoa, that's... You, you mean they meet? They take turns about the room? Yeah. So we find out there's Lewis. Isabel's infatuated with him. Susanna thinks he's... Is it creepy? Yeah, she says <laughs> Isabella thinks he's a genius. Everybody else thinks that he's weird and an idiot. And she also points out he's 16 to 17 years old. This comes into play because it seems Maslow for now treats him as a far younger child. I'd say at 17 years old in 1890, you're a man. And having to live in a girls reform school and basically not allowed to see them... 
for now is he is messing with fire. No, and you're right because he's supposed to be 16 or 17. I'd say he would be immature by today's standards. He's got an arrested development for the time. We find and out. I think that's, that's like solely the on his mom's shoulders. Like <laughs> It is, although I think we did talk about it. There's always the nature versus nurture. What he does cannot 100% be explained by his mom being protective. I've known some very overprotective mothers and their, their kids <laughs> don't turn out to up. be Dr. Frankenstein. Exactly. <laughs> so is, we meet Isabel. We go to that romantic boiler room that Lewis seems to like. <laughs> And he brings her a slice of cake. And, of course, during the time period, I mean, this, they're trying to really express the innocence of this relationship and throw you <laughs> off, too, because they touch hands, and it's very sweet. The music goes, woo, yep. woo, Over the cake. He brings her cake, and they're meeting the boiler room, which, I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, I guess when you're sneaking, you're sneaking. You got to meet. The boiler room is not that romantic. Also, the boiler room seems to be like a place that is frequented. Mr. Brichard, the <laughs> attic that we learn about later, Seems like a more ideal Or outside. Like, yeah, go outside. I don't even know if, like, well, it seems like doors are locked or something. But, yeah, they have these grounds. And you're thinking, oh, this is sweet love. Maybe because then, so they hear the door handle move. And once again, there's a red herring. Like, oh. It's a cheap little moment of suspense. But we're back with the girls. We're in the greenhouse. Oh, uh, the greenhouse. The, the, and she's the same woman that was reading. She has an annoying voice. She's sort of the gardening expert. Again, they're gardening indoors, even though it's clearly not winter. It's nice. It's about control. There's freedom in the outdoors. So what's great here, huge red herring coming up, is Teresa's being taught how to plant things. She's the one who volunteers to be a hall monitor in grade school. (laughs) Totally one of those. She's standing there. She looks up. And Mr. Brichard, who's sort of the custodian, he's got a little bit of Mar- Marty Feldman, it's kind of creepy. Dude is standing like one inch from the window, just staring, staring at Teresa. Not a wave, not a hello. Why are you there, buddy? And then he walks away. Yeah. You feel for a, quite a while that you're going, they really want us to think he's the guy. Something creepy is going on and he's yeah. involved with it. And that scene also has two other points. One is... They're planning planting azaleas, and they mention, I don't know if this is correct or not, I should have asked my wife who's a botanist, are azalea seeds poisonous? Because clearly the girls mentioned that they're putting these seeds, Mademoiselle Fournau's food, which catches you off guard. This is not a good place. And these girls, there's something off with them as well. They told Teresa when she first got there, they were going through her clothes, and they gave her sort of a breakdown. Yeah. They, they said, hey, wait till Izzy comes yeah. in. Ask her how this place is. And one of them even says, they said, would your family take you back if you wanted to go? And she's like, of course. She said yes. And they're like, oh, wow. Then you'll yeah. be gone in a couple days. And yes. You'll leave here. So this is the second time that the girls in this school let Teresa know this isn't a good place. And some of us have earned being be here. in a prison type <laughs> setting. One last item on that garden scene. There's these sexual symbolism that's going on. Because she's telling her to plant the seeds, and they really focus on her jabbing at her finger and making a hole. Which I know that's how you do it. <laughs> yes, but they, there's like extreme focus she's on just it. poking a <laughs> yeah. finger in there, and then, but also this gets her hands dirty. Yes, because suddenly someone comes in and says, "Hey, Teresa, Madame Fournau wants to see you," and she says, "Oh, I'll wash up," and they go, "Oh, you don't have to wash up." She goes, "It's not Madame Fournau. It's it, Tupin and her minions." She says, you know, come in. I'm sure now you understand. Suzanne has explained to you how the school is really run. And Teresa goes, no. <laughs> I, I mean, basically, she just told me that we meet yeah. Henry and his two types yeah. of wood. <laughs> Suzanne had one focus. She wanted to get laid yeah. again. And she's like, you know, that's all I could talk about. And, and, and what's great is like, Tupan's like, she didn't tell you about me? Yeah. Like, like, like how important me? I am? <laughs> Tupan is saying, this is how things are really won. I could see to it that you eat well and not work hard. Want some tea? Yeah. And when she reaches for the tea, well, your hands are dirty. Why don't you wash them over there? And she walks over, and as Teresa's washing her hands, she reaches down, holds her hands, washing them in a very sexual way, drying them. As she's saying, I can make your life very easier. It's manipulative, subjugation. It's intimidation. And she says, all you have to do is obey me. 
We then go to all the girls getting ready at night. And it's the third night, and yeah. Izzy is still gone. Yes, like, Izzy's exactly. still gone in this yes. punishment room. I guess you have to heal up a little bit after getting whipped. <laughs> and all the girls are getting ready for bed, and there's Tupan brushing her long, brunette, lustrous yeah. hair, and just staring <laughs> in the most... Like, I'm like, God, just do it all right. And the one part I love about the scene is in the background, someone says, still no toilet paper. Yes. And once I, again, I, I you're like, what kind of school is this? Yes. Like, she's getting 300 francs per girl yes. per term. I, like, I, it is a lot of money. Still no toilet paper. Yeah, because it's right after Isabel finds a key in her bed. And, and a note. And there's a note, which they don't translate. No. I, did you do it? <laughs> no, I did oh, not. Oh, my God. I totally thought you were going to do it. And I was. I'm like, oh, you know what? I could, tra- I could write what they wrote and put it in Google Translate. I'm like, oh, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I so, that's so something you would do. I, 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 that's why I did not do it. It's from Lewis, like, come and meet me. <laughs> yes. So there's a key, and that's when Isabel walks in, and that's when we hear still no toilet paper. I, and, <laughs> Every time I heard that, I just went, so what are they doing? This place can kick rocks. Yeah. It's not a nice place. We kind of figure out, she's got. She's going to the greenhouse. They're in the greenhouse. We're now 41, 42 minutes into this movie. And this is the first time you realize like something is really bad happening here. There's music. There's actually, you could hear her walking through the greenhouse. And then the sounds of her stop. And the killer's behind her. And the killer reaches around. Very manly hand. Starts stabbing her. It's just music and these images and slow down. And it's done. She's being stabbed repeatedly. We don't hear her scream. Then the music does that weird wind down. Like an old old cassette that the tape gets caught. It just... It's well done. It's very upsetting. There's something seriously going wrong in the boarding house. So all these red herrings where you're like, oh, this is odd. Girls are are leaving. It's worst case scenario. And now (laughs) you realize like, oh, what's really bad is that girls are being killed here. I mean, this is the worst case scenario for a parent. You send someone there, there's no toilet paper, and it's like, hey, by the way, that's one of the good things is the lack of toilet paper because there's a sexual predator. There's people whipping. They lock you in, and they nail windows shut. And then, oh, by the way, some of the girls get murdered. Then that's when Fourneau tells the other, I can't remember her name, but another woman, nail the window shut, change the locks, and she says, this isn't a prison, it's a school. And Fourneau says, you know, hey, if it's not a prison, maybe we have to turn it into one. This is a poorly run school. It is. I would, you know. <laughs> also, I know it's a different time. It's a movie. I just have to say, the idea, you're locking these people in the school, nailing the window shut, not only is it like weird and it's like, controlling it's a big fire hazard what about fire codes during that time period <laughs> i mean i know that's a dumb thing i sound like someone's dad but <laughs> there's you, a lot you, of open flames now tons of open flames and tons of wood <laughs> tons of wood and you know, things that'll just burn i'm sitting there going well that's not very safe <laughs> and then that scene ends and you, and you know, it's talking about making it even more of a prison and then it goes to a shower scene which is very prison light they're reminded that oh it's tuesday it's Tuesday, shower day. One of my favorite moments of kind of suspense in the movie is coming up. Oh, that's two bottles down. Not bad. It's an easy drinker. Yeah. I like oh, it. I, yeah. So do I. Buffalo mm. Bills. And it's always a very reasonable price, like around $9 a, a six-pack. Oh, that's good. So you right. can find a really nice beer you enjoy at $9 a, a six-pack. Do it. Maybe some alcohol would have made everybody at more of an even pace in this movie. I think a lot of people around way too tight in this movie. Madame Fourneau at one point, I think she was drinking something. She measures it with that tiny little oh, thing. Oh, that was odd. Like just a thimble. And one, a, two. She's counting everything out. But when she's doing that, I'm like, well, that's that definitely wouldn't be me running that school. Be doing the home board. Here's like, some brandy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How much have you had to drink? Just one. So the back of the shower scene. We keep like dancing around that well, because they, here's the thing: we're middle-aged yeah. men. Times, this is a scene that made me uncomfortable, really uncomfortable. Yeah, there there were things in this that I just felt awkward. And again. There's nothing graphic. Kept, it's a peeping I kept, Tom voyeuristic scene. And I kept, uh, all I kept going back to was when she says, our girls range from 16 to 21. Yeah. Every time something would happen, I kept thinking, some of these might be underage girls. Yeah. It's not overly sexualized. It's just, it's uncomfortable. It is. Also downright weird. I had to do a little dive in this, and I, I can't find any information on it. So if people have information, let us know. The women are wearing shower gowns. You do not shower in the nude. You put a gown on and you shower with a gown on. 
You don't see anything. You really don't see anything. No, but it's it's, like, it's very voyeuristic. You're watching all these girls in almost a prison-like scene because for now is walking around keeping time. And also she's like, okay, everybody leave the shower. Next group in the shower. And it's very regimented. And I guess in a way it makes sense. They probably have limited hot water. Yeah. And they only get to shower on Tuesdays, I guess. I don't. That's what it sounds I mean, they, like. They brought in a lot of wood. You know? Yes, exactly. Well, <laughs> Henry brings in two types of wood. Yeah. Lewis, boom, it's Tuesday. He knows. It's, it's Tuesday. It's to him. Well, and I was going to say, the one thing is, if this had been shot in the United States, even a couple years later, it would have been just downright pornographic. There is just something very creepy about this one. So Lewis, he knows. So he's got this thing he does really big into the boiler room, I noticed. <laughs> he goes into the boiler room and he opens a grate, crawls into this like damp tunnel that leads to a place where he can peek into the shower and he can watch the girls shower. Now here's another red herring. Mr. Burchard standing an inch from the greenhouse staring. He walks into that boiler room and sees that grate open and he shuts it. So Lewis is now trapped in there. And you're not sure. You think like, oh, Burchard knows he's in there. He looks and he goes, oh, I'm trapped. He goes back kicking, kicking. He's sweating because of the steam. It's yeah. hot. And he's kicking and he's like panicking a little bit. I, th- I really like that little kind of sequence yeah. there. You're so, thinking he's done. Yeah. This and, is. And also I'm thinking, oh, what a horrible, horrible, like being steamed to yeah. death. Oh, I feel bad for all the lobsters that I've ever eaten. Madame for now, she hears that kicking and she looks up exactly the area where it would be. Do you think that she knows that he's doing this? I think 100%. I think she's on to him. And meanwhile, she just kind of keeps telling the girls, you're out, next up, you're out. Teresa's the last one. This must be a really humbling moment for old Lewis because he's peeking, he's been trying to kick, he's going back and forth, he's sweating, he's sweating. He's getting a little panicky. Teresa's there and he's looking through and it's got to be a humbling moment because he starts calling to Teresa and it's basically, hey, can you help me out? I was watching you guys shower and got stuck. There's no other way you can... You're like, uh, uh, I was fixing something. Yes, yeah, no, it's Mademoiselle, got to help me out here. Guy was... Watching you guys shower in your nightgowns. That's just awkward. It's not like you can come out of that and be like, oh, I was uh, chasing a rat or something. It's like, no, there's there's no getting around that, buddy. At that point, I think that there is another cut of the movie because you hear him speaking to Teresa like, hey, help me. And then it cuts to Tupan talking to Teresa saying, we know that you're going and visiting Lewis in the boiler room in the afternoon. It's exactly. So there's a, there's a time period missing. Your assumption is that, that Teresa listened to his directions. To me, there's like, there's a chunk of time, even a montage, because there's a relationship built. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, did I black out for 15 <laughs> minutes? Because it, it does, it totally jumps from him being like, I'm a perv, help me, to A, you've been meeting in the boiler room with Lewis. Feels like a huge chunk of the movie was excised from the film. And then in terms of the movie, the sexual progression has occurred down the movie. You've had early on this innocence arriving at the boarding house. You've had the girls talk about, hey, sometimes we get to meet with guys. You've had these physical symbols of planting seeds. You have that shower scene. Then you're in a sewing class. And this is the most erotic sewing class yes. I've ever seen yes. filmed. <laughs> Needlepoint? Yes. That, and boy, Madame Fourneau is really into it. She's like, Needlepoint is just like painting yeah. when you when you get to uh, manipulate the colors and stuff. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there going, I don't think anybody has ever been that into Needlepoint. And I know people are into it. That's your jam. That's yeah. your jam. But man, she was just going on about, hey, ladies, keep working the Needlepoint. Well, one of the things you have to do when you have a needle, you yes. got to thread it. Exactly. Henry shows up. Henry brings his two types of wood. They're like, oh, Henry's here with his wood. Wink, wink. <laughs> and the girls are very, they are sexually excited that Henry's here and Tupan is going to make a choice. And she sends Noel, you know, and some of the other girls are like chagrined. They're bummed. So Noel goes down, meets Henry. Henry's like... I got the best job in the world. Yeah. 
You know, and, and what I love is that she goes, she's like, it's me again. You know, is that okay? Yeah. And, and he's like, yeah. You know, it's like. It's like At any port in the store. I was just going to say the same thing. Henry's just like, I'm not really going to complain about anything. Any, anything. I, I bring my two types of wood up and, and I'm like, this is, I'm good to go. Again, we do a cross cutting. And this one's a little more funny to me because we're cross cutting. They're getting frisky in, in the hay and, the and laughing turns to heavy breathing oh, to moaning. To, and then we keep going back to the, the ladies and the and the needle point. We get close ups of threading needles or threading needles. <laughs> and rolling up yarn and, ro- and unrolling it. Really quick. Rolling, unrolling Just it. like with that energy that, con- that frantic energy and, and then back and forth and close ups of like faces as they're like and just lips, lips that are and, wet and everything yes, like that. Yes and they're like oh you know it's like uh, Chasson, I think, is the woman that's standing at the window, yeah. staring out. Once in a while, I think we get Fourneau, and she's just kind of looking around, like, like "What is going on like, here?" I kind of have an idea. Henry's bringing two types of wood because <laughs> you guys always get like this at embroidery and, and needlepoint class. <laughs> They're all going to need a cigarette afterwards. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And then like at a quote-unquote climax, we get Izzy stabbing herself, drawing blood. And the music between those intercut scenes builds to a climax. That scene ends, and then we're with Lewis outside. He's sitting out. He's in the sun, having a great day. And again, I look around, I go... They aren't utilizing their grounds very well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like there could be all sorts of things. These, these ladies could have a brilliant garden. They could do, you know, lots of things. But it's like basically you go from the inside of the, of the school to the inside of the greenhouse and back and forth. It's that inside control. No freedom. Nature is freedom. Lewis is out there. He's got a book. He's toying with some ants. He's putting a stick in a hole. Very sexual. <laughs> but then he takes that ant and he puts it on the book and he toys with it. Oddly enough, that book is a French book, but it's written by Johan Jansen. We'll link out to it in our show notes. It's about the German Reformation. Then slowly, not violently, he slowly closes the book and kills that ant and he smiles. If he's so sickly and he has asthma, he is hanging outside with that grass pollen, the trees. I don't think he's sick. I think his mom is using that as a control mechanism. There's something wrong with my son, and I'm going to keep him here as long as possible. For now, sees him outside, calls him in. She gives him the rundown of, you're sick. It's too damp outside for you. You have to be careful. How could I run this establishment if always I have to look after you. You've always been sickly. Remember your asthma. I know it's hard for you to always be indoors, but it's absolutely necessary. I would love to send you to college to be with boys your own age, but at this time, it's absolutely impossible. And she also keeps emphasizing, you need to find a A younger version of of me. me. (laughs) Somebody who will love you and do all these, and then kisses him on the mouth very slowly that was just i went you guys really are just why are you doing this to me the movie's at one hour right now i like this beer a lot are you a fan i like it when it comes to this time period of year i am one of the people who will go and get myself pumpkin spiced items i'll buy pumpkin cookies i'll get starbucks pumpkin coffee (laughs) even though we're in southern california it's like 90 out where we are right now being from the midwest this was the time of year that the pumpkin ales would come out and we would just be like love it because it's getting cool it's changing even though i'm in shorts and a t-shirt all the time (laughs) i get a yen for this yeah and what i like is it's super tasty it's drinkable. I mean, the ABV is 6%. But this is nice. You can pick up a six-pack and have a few and talk about a movie. Absolutely. And we're not starting to slur. When exactly. we're, as, we're getting, as we're getting to the end. You're like, who's Lewis? Um, what did we just say? Another thing. <laughs> Dupont has summoned Teresa. They've got a little secret hideout. And they go down they got, they got into a club the house. Yes. They go into a little clubhouse. They knock on a door. And one of Dupont's minions answers the door. It's the blonde. Her hair is down. Her shirt's partially unbuttoned, and she's tucking it in. Yeah. We hear something going on behind. We hear giggling. She, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then she opens the door, and she's dressing herself. And there's Tupan, like, sitting on a throne sort of deal. With she, some tasteful nudes. Yes. <laughs> a painting. And she's like, hey, Teresa, you know, it's, it's great to have you here. And she goes, I get, uh, I've got all access to the records and everything. You don't have a father, do you? And it just gets meaner from there. And it's very much a scene 
uh, you imagine as a secret police scene that where they're demanding that you tell them your secrets. We're going to browbeat you until you reveal all the secrets. And it is a really sad scene. Terrible. They, they try to pull her clothes off and put her in an outfit that her mom would wear. Because she finally reveals that her mom... She's not singing at these concert the, the, halls. Uh, Avion. Yeah, Avion. Yeah. And, and I've been there. That's like in the south of France. You know, it's a, it seems mom, to be a nice place. Your mom's a singer. Oh, <laughs> opera? She's like, no, no. Cabaret. Yes. Which to me, I'm like, that's what's wrong with that? Exactly. It's like, that's probably pretty cool. You know, but yeah, I, I think actually the clothes they have, because earlier all the girls were going through Teresa's clothes and they pull out sort of a... Like the bustier, yeah, or something a, a like bustier. That? It's kind of red. It's, yeah. pretty, it's kind of a sexy thing. Really, yeah. So they're like, "Hey, you know, you don't have a father." She's like, "No, I have a father. I got a picture." Like, you don't. She sings. So what else does she do? You do other things than sing. And they make her put on the bustier, and then they're saying, "Sing." Tupan just gets more and more intense. It's really an uncomfortable. And then the bell rings. And what I love is that since she goes, "We'll pick this up tomorrow." <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh man, really? I'm like, point made, Tupan. That's kind of it for Teresa. She's like, I'm done. I can't deal with this crap anymore. So she decides, I'm going to gather my stuff in a bindle like a hobo and beat Cheeks out of here, man. I'm done. She throws her stuff out the window. Then she goes out and she goes, I've got to go tell Lewis. Because they built this relationship that we've never seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like they, they skipped all of it. But no, but no, and again, now now we're led to believe they have this relationship enough that she's going to go risking running into four now. She goes to tell Lewis, I'm out of here, man. She can't bring herself to say what happened. We're thinking, you know, Lewis, ah, oh, kind of a... He's a little wimp, but he's, yeah. he's a sweet kid. He breaks his piggy bank. Which is a very immature, you would think a boy at 17 years old, even back then, would not have a piggy bank. I just had cash on the top yeah. of the dresser when I was 16, 17. Then we come full circle of Teresa's journey. When she first entered the house, when she was first getting the tour at the very beginning, she pulled on a chain next to the wall, which is the bell. And now she's in the dark, trying to find a way out, and she comes across that chain and pulls it again. A bell, the clock rings, yeah. and there's a thunderstorm. And you're and going, so, oh, clock, no. something is going to happen. <laughs> and meanwhile, Tupan's out by a tree she, watching the winds blowing. Yeah. She's watching. She's like, I'm going to catch her. I'm going to yeah. catch her getting yeah. away. Teresa's in there trying to force this window open. Slowly, a door creaks. She looks, nothing. Goes back to open and gets the window open. The door opens more. We see a hand. And then. That shadow figure, the music comes to complete stop. It's an interesting shot. They freeze Teresa with her head being pulled back, and the music comes to complete stop. And then all you hear is some Foley effects of someone getting their throat slowly slit. And it's a really jarring scene because also you're like, Teresa's the hero of the story. She's now dead. Yeah, I'm not equating this movie to Star Wars, yeah. but it would be like at, at the end of Star Wars, all of a sudden, boom, Princess Leia is you know killed, and you go, wait, she's been here from the beginning. Uh, and this oh. is where I like that movie just kind of her story came full circle. That last whatever twenty minutes or yeah. so is where for me where the where the movie almost redeems itself because you go, oh, Teresa is not going to be the hero; she's just another victim. We go back to Tupan, and she's walking around the school, and she comes upon the bindle, and all of T Teresa's stuff, and she goes, what the hell is this? Goes back into the room, finds where the window was that she had opened, Teresa had opened, and then she finds it's wet, and amazingly, she finds no blood. Yeah. She's becoming a Miss Marple, where she's figuring out the mystery. And she Teresa opens Fernal's door, and Fernal's sitting there, and it's like that red herring where maybe this... You know, it's Madame well for now who has done this. <laughs> exactly. That's when Tupan sort of turns. She goes from this sadistic, controlling predator to she's confronting for now and saying, five girls have gone missing now. In the last, like, four months, Teresa is the fifth. We haven't heard anything. I get all the records. I know. And Fourneau's like, well, maybe they went home. She said, when girls run away and run home, we end up hearing from them. One way or another, we hear back from them. We've heard nothing. And for now, is just being all evasive about it. And that's when she starts measuring out her little, <laughs> I don't know if it's a digestif, you know, that she's having there. I'm not really sure. I mean, I don't get the picture that for now is sort of just your garden variety drunk. 
it was interesting the way they shot it because Tupan, I think two phases, she transitions to the hero. First, she's outside, and, she, and like you point out, she sees that bindle, like Teresa stuff, and it's raining. And I'm thinking, like, she's getting that baptismal water. Her hair is long now, she's a nightgown. Reborn. Like, she's reborn, and then she goes inside and confronts for now, and there's a scene where she hands her the key. Her responsibility as a trustee is now ended. Like, I am she, now the hero. Like, you are truly the villain. He, I don't want this responsibility anymore. And it pushes the for now as the red herring. We're supposed to think she's the murderer now. And so Tupan's like, I'm leaving. And she's like, no, you're not. <laughs> and, and she's like, well, you can't make me. Tupan is like, uh, I know some things about you. Fourneau says, everything that happens here happens everywhere else. Yeah. And Tupan's like, does it really? And that's when Fourneau goes, give me your, your keys. keys. And there's sinister music all of a yes. sudden. You're like, okay, she's clearly the villain now. We know who the villain yes. is. We are comfortable back in our and universe. And suddenly Tupan shifts to like the yeah. hero because we get all these, oh, it's almost like a montage yeah. of her like giving her really nasty looks. Like she would sort of like, can I see your needlepoint? And then Tupan would just look up yeah. with this glaring stare and she'd go, and oh. Her clothes chain, it's not that fat. Ashes, mute colors with the tie, and she, her hair is even unkept a little bit. She's been, you've been kicked out. Yeah. You, you've been banished. You're now one of the girls that could end up being and whipped. Tupan decides she's going to leave now as well. She's going to pull the sneak. And what does she ask her minions to do? She's got a plan. She's found a, a window that will open in the kitchen, and one of her minions is like, What do you want us to do with all the paintings? She's like, just burn them. And it's all the nudie paintings. I'm sure they're like a whole bunch of nudie paintings. It's like, burn my porn stash so no one knows. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Fornell says, I want to talk to Tupan. Is she asleep? And they're like, no, no, we'll go check. They go up and they're like, hey, hey, Tupan, Fornell wants to talk to you. And she's like, oh, she wants to murder me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And she goes, I think I'm going to leave now. Yeah. The door she thinks was supposed to be unlocked is locked. She's grooving around, almost rings the bell, catches herself. Don't you know where the bell is? You've yeah. been running this place for a, few, for a while. Four nose goes out to try to find her and becomes this kind of cat and mouse. And climbs up, up into the house. Always a bad move. You're trying to escape. Why climb up? There's no way out. You're going to get to the point where you're going to have to jump off the roof or something. She's following around with, I guess the only thing she could find was like a big candelabra yes. to carry throughout this house. I mean, that thing, in real life, that thing would weigh about 50 pounds. <laughs> so, I mean, it keeps going up and up and we're not sure... What's the end game? Where are they going? Tupan is going to try every door as she escalates up. And eventually she climbs up to the attic. And then it transitions back to for now. And she hears like a thud and the grating rocking sound. And all of a sudden we're no longer with Tupan. And for now makes her way to the attic. The attic is dusty. It's your classic horror movie now. There's cobwebs. The rocking horse, I guess, must have been Lewis's. Yes. Why would you keep that? What would be the point? She is completely involved in keeping her son in a childlike state. She does not want to release him. So she's going to keep items like that to remind him of the child. I mean, that, yeah, that, that could be, but you're going to run out of space. Exactly. <laughs> and then she sees Tupan, and there's blood on Tupan. Yes. And Tupan's dead, and she lifts her arm and realizes... Her hands have been severed. In the last few minutes... Of the movie. She's been killed. She is uncomfortable. She hears... Flies. Yes. You, you hear flies. And what I don't get is... Why there isn't an incredible stench. You know what I mean? An unpleasant sound of not just a fly buzzing around you. It's like, hey, over in that room are about 300,000 flies. Yeah. So she goes over, opens the door, and there's Lewis. And he has a big smile. He's like standing there. He's got this table, and it's there's something with a blanket over it. And he's like, hey, mom. And he said, you always told me. I need a girl just like you, Mom. Just like you. So it, I basically built one, and I just need the final hand. <laughs> Isabel had your eyes. Yeah. And Tupan had hands like yours, slender but strong. Yeah. He's like, see, here she is. And he pulls it back. He basically has been murdering girls, taking the parts and assembling. So you get this corpse that's rotting, these eyes. And his mom is, oh, is no, 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 no. Now you must teach her yeah. to take care of me <laughs> yes. as you do. And he slowly is walking around. And closes the door, locks her in, and she's yelling, Lewis, you pointed this out. Okay, the movie is called The House 
that scream. And the only scream you hear in the entire time is Mademoiselle for now screaming at the end, Louis, Louis, because she's been shut in the room and it freezes on his smiling face. He's just <laughs> sitting crouched against the wall talking about, you know, teacher. You got you got a teacher to talk, mother, teacher to be you. <laughs> and then that sweeping music comes up again. Yes. And it pulls you out of this nightmare that's ended it like there's a jarring end. What do you think? Do you do you recommend this? I would recommend this movie. I think there's something there. Until I read Hidden Horrors, I had never heard of this movie. When you think about European horror movies and that giallo, giallo, which I think is Italian for yellow, and I know where, yes. where it's it's far more associated with Italian directors, but I think this was an initial kind of foray into that. It does start off being this period piece where you're not sure what's happening. Something, honestly, I think the first 30 minutes my wife would have really enjoyed. She's like, oh, a Victorian piece. And then it slowly twists and turns where it's something horrific. I like it. I would say give it a go. Let us know what you think about it. And one last final point, I think someone should really dive in and do a comparison of this movie and Franco's running of Spain. (laughs) Because I really think there's something there. Yeah, so, I, Michael. I'm on the other side. I don't. It, it drags so much, and it's just so clumsy until the end. I kept thinking, oh, the ending was kind of cool, but I can find movies with cool endings that also had cool beginnings. There's an ickiness that comes from watching this that doesn't come from anything they intended. And they seem to indulge in like the sexual predation and torture. I had too many issues with it. This is not on my recommendation list. This was, <laughs> I mean, we can't always agree. But yeah, this this is one that I would not recommend. I would always recommend Buffalo Bills. Oh, I agree Pumpkin with you on Ale. that. This is a great beer. Yeah. And, and big fan. Their label is so festive. It reminds me of Halloween and fall time, that big pumpkin on it. Absolutely. It's delicious. I would pick up a six-pack of this and watch this movie again. You, you would. <laughs> I know I know you would. And that's usually what I, my, my question would be. Will you watch this movie I again? Probably, you know, there's, a, there's a part of me that now wants to go and either find a course or a book on Franco and then read it and then re-watch this movie. <laughs> Anyways, this is Beer and Bee Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael.